Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. We are weak, but He is strong. I'm Kevin Beltman, your host and recovering burnout pastor, who's here to share with you sermons and songs from friends of mine that I hope will be a blessing to you. Today's message is from Ben Johnson, who used to be in California, but now serves in Iowa. And one of my favorite quotes in his message from today here is, when a member is dying of cancer, he tells Pastor Ben that his battle isn't against cancer. His battle is against hopelessness and despair. The title of Ben's message today is Rejoice Always. And you and I can rejoice always because in and through Christ, both now and, la- and later, we have true joy, unshakable joy. Ben also talks about his daily interaction with the highly esteemed Professor Gibbs from his seminary days, who says to Ben every morning, still caught up in it. And what does that mean about our joy? Well, at the end of this podcast, you'll hear a special song written by a songwriting mentor of mine and friend, Stephen Duncan, and a few other great songwriters, including Daniel Hartson from Montana that I've also written with. So be sure and check out the show notes for more details and links about this song. But for now, let's listen to Pastor Ben. All right, good morning again. All right, so as I mentioned, we're starting this three-week series as we're going to root through these these three things of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, and today we're handling rejoice always. You know, one of the hardest things, I think, for Christians to kind of understand, and it took me a long time to kind of settle into it, is if the Word of God has full effect on your life, what kind of person would you be? That if the Word of God accomplishes its goal, what kind of person would we be? That the Word of God has a goal. Because I think sometimes we approach the Word of God as, you know, like the cosmic answer book, I'm going through a hard time, or just kind of this, maybe you think of it as this, you know, outdated historical thing, or whatever it might be. But the Word of God, look at what Scripture says to the Word of God. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for our teaching, our reproof, our correction, and for the training up in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now that's such an interesting, powerful way of speaking about the Word of God, because what Paul is saying is that apart from the Word of God, you will never find completeness. And you will be unequipped to handle the things that are going to happen in life. See, there's a big, there's a move happening in, in the world right now, and big time in our country, where even... Christian churches are sort of moving away from the Word of God. There's, there's this move happening, you know. They'll, they'll start saying things like, it contains the Word of God. Or, or there's aspects of the Word of God. 
that, that are powerful and meaningful, but, but you can't say all of it. I mean, some of it's just historical. Some of it's just contextual. And, and, and so there's this move being made where, as a Christian, this is one of the first times I've really felt it in my life, that, that to say, I believe that this is the inerrant word of God breathed out by God, given to us by the power of the Spirit, that this this. This is Jesus himself speaking to us. And to say that, man, puts you in sort of a, you're a backwoods, sort of narrow-minded kind of individual. What Scripture says is that the Word of God is unbelievably powerful in our life. And it has a goal. This is what the message translation says, and I like it. Uh, It says, every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another. It shows us the truth. It exposes our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. The way that I kind of phrase it is that Scripture wants to train you, train us to see ourselves, to see people, to see the things of this world and the the things, our circumstances, the things that we're going to go through, and to see them with a kingdom mindset, through, through a kingdom of God lens, where, where we don't just perceive it as sort of surface level, but with the understanding that there is a lot going on that we don't understand. You know, at any given time, each and every one of us, is living in two different realities. There's the reality of the things that we can see and the reality of things that we cannot see. Even for you guys that are going to school, there's a reality of your school through the lens of the things you can see and there's a reality of your school through the lens of things you cannot see. And just because we can't see them doesn't make them any less true or real, or powerful in the lives of other people and in our own lives. This is what Paul says to this. He says in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Whoa! It's a verse of reminder that there are things at work in our lives we can't see. And notice what Paul says. He says, as Christians who've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, you've been brought into something that's way bigger than yourself. You've been empowered by the very Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus Christ to what? To wrestle with, to do battle against the unseen things, the spiritual forces of evil, in this world, that we as Christians, that's what we wrestle with. We don't get sucked in to just wrestling with things that we can see. It's telling of other people when you discover what their wrestle is, what their battle is, what hills they're willing to die on. There's a lot of a lot of people who want to wrestle with politics or wrestle with ideologies or wrestle with 
their neighbors or wrestle with someone at work or wrestle or wrestle or whatever it might be. There's a lot of different things you could start wrestling with. We as Christians have been set free from, notice he says, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. See, the word even guides us to wrestle with the right things. To choose what we're going to give our energy and our focus and that sense of, of wrestling, of, energy, of, of, of what difference am I making. And Paul says, as Christians, you've been empowered to wrestle it with the spiritual forces of evil that are at work in this world. Now, it's usually about this point in the sermon and that you start getting the look in people's eye like, I thought this was a rejoice always. Yeah, we're going to get there. Because we've got to know why we're rejoicing. So let's go a little bit deeper. A little bit darker. These unseen spiritual forces of evil have enslaved this world in darkness. And you see it every day. The perverse, twisted, hate-filled, gossip-filled, slanderous-filled, prejudice-filled, racist-filled world that we live in. You see it every day. How many stories are we going to have that show us how dark and twisted the world is? I mean, think of it this way. When is the last time you've watched the news for an extended period of time and at the end of watching the news was led to rejoice? Like, oh! Some good news, man. I'm going to bed with a pep in my step. Yeah, everything's going great. Right? This is why some people are like, that's why I don't watch the news. Well, that's not the... Don't vacate it. I mean, be informed. But I also know that when I've been watching or listening to the news a little too long, because there's this feeling that creeps up in me. It's a little bit of grumpiness, but it's deeper than that. It's a hopelessness. There's a feeling of hopelessness. Like, what, what do we do? What can be done? There's a paralysis that can happen where you just feel like, what, what am I going to do? I mean, how many stories am I going to hear of People getting sucked up into human trafficking. How many news articles of corruption? How many news articles of wars? How many news articles of violence? How many new? How many? Because it's just one after another after another, and it's unending. And it's just like you're peering through the window into this world, and you're like, ah, someone needs to come and do something. Something really big, something really powerful, something that can handle the amount of evil and the forces of evil that have just are going wild out in the world. And see, now it's in that spirit 
that teetering hopelessness. When all of a sudden as Christians, our rejoicing always makes a little more sense. Because see, we are the ones who have been given some really good news that someone did come. I want you to read with me Colossians. And I want you to connect it with this, alright? So you see these phrases in here, right? The rulers against the authorities. He's not talking flesh and blood. So don't think of rulers as flesh and blood. Or authorities where you're like, oh, see? No, no, no. Not flesh and blood rulers. Not flesh and blood authorities. But over the cosmic powers of in the present darkness, spiritual forces. Are you with me? Alright? Now I want you to connect this. We're going to be doing this a lot today. Connecting Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture, okay? We're going to connect Ephesians 6 with Colossians 2. You ready? Let's read it together. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. What up? Woo! Like that's your God. Did you feel a little bit as I was talking about the hopelessness? Did you feel it? Have you felt that before? How many of you can honestly say, I have felt that? I'm with you, Pastor. How many of you as parents, as as grandparents, have felt that burden for your children? For our schools, for our communities, for our church. You felt it for our nation. You felt it, haven't you? Because if you haven't felt it, you got to get engaged. That might be telling you something else, but I think we've all felt it. We've all felt it. What did God do about it? Well, first off, let's just walk through this. First off, He said, one, you weren't asking for it. The world wasn't good. In fact, each and every one of us was dead. Dead in our trespasses. Dead in our sin. We weren't, we weren't scrubbed up. We didn't have a really good church attendance. We weren't tithing the right amount. We weren't asking for it. We weren't good boys, little girls. In fact, you know the announcement of like, why do good things happen to bad people? That begs for the conversation. What is good? Are you? Are you the good person that bad things shouldn't happen to? And by what definition are you good? What makes you good? What have you done that's good? What have I done that is good? See, the very fact that that this is the number one thing people ask. Why do good things happen to bad people? Well, that begs the conversation. What is good? What is bad? And what makes us good and things bad? Why are we good? Because do you know what this is saying? It says, God made alive together with him. That apart from Jesus Christ in you, there's nothing good. 
And it has nothing to do with your good works. It has nothing to do with, with, with how zealous you are for the faith and how much you got it memorized. Are those good things? Sure, but that's not what makes you good. What makes you good is that when you were dead in your trespasses, God came and made you alive together with Christ that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, some incredible things were accomplished. Because when you were united, this is what he did for you. He forgave you of the trespasses. I mean, think on this. When people say, why, 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 do, why do bad things happen to good people? You beg the question, okay, what's good? The second thing is, so if you admit you are sinful or you've made mistakes, that you have incurred a debt, the question is, why don't you think you should have to pay it? Why do you get off scot-free? The consequence of sin is death. So, by definition, how many of you confess, I, I have sinned before? I don't have enough fingers for how many times, right? These are my toes. So, so why don't I expect the consequence to fall on my head. All I've done in life is deserve it of bad things. Because God loved this world so much, He gave Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, He chose to step into the evil, wicked, nasty, perverse world that it is. And He stepped into it to do something that we couldn't do. And He lived that perfect life. The only person that did not deserve to die was the very one that they nailed up to a cross. And on that cross, through His blood... He says, I have forgiven you of your trespasses. I canceled the debt. Canceled the debt. Paid in full. Now and forever. Woo! That is awesome. Canceled the debt that stood against us. How did he do it? He set it aside by nailing it to the cross. That every swing of the hammer that put a nail through his hand was pinning your shame and guilt, your sin and paying your consequence. Then, we're not done. Then, Jesus rose from the dead, and this is what it says, is that He disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame, triumphing over them. That is so awesome. I want you to picture like the Super Bowl parades, right? Can, can you picture a Super Bowl parade in your mind? The teams up on the bus or the cars or whatever they do. I remember when I was living in Colorado and the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl and we went to the, we went to the parade and we got to watch them go by. I think I slapped hands with John Elway. I'm like, I'm never washing my hands, which is gross to think about. But, but I remember that moment. Now, I want you to picture the losing team having to stand there and watch as they go by with the ring. They hold the trophy. We won. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, 
he came back with such a power that disarms. You think that evil is powerful? That the perverse nature of this world's powerful? That the darkness is powerful? Well, let me tell you something. Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. Because that power is unmatched and undefeated. He rose from the dead to disarm the rulers, to disarm the authorities, putting them to open shame. And then he decided that he would go in to you. Because now it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What? Yeah, that power is alive in you. Yay? Right? Man, this is where rejoice always comes from. We don't rejoice always because everything in life is going to be good. We don't rejoice always because we're okay with what's going on. Because honestly, when I look out at the evil, I don't want to rejoice. What, what leads us to rejoice? Well, it's having a kingdom mindset. This is what Jesus dealt a lot with this with His disciples. In, in John 16, he, He's giving words of comfort for His disciples because they're about to go through a really hard time. They're going to they're gonna witness Him or hear about Him being crucified. He knows this is going to be hard. And so Jesus gives these words of comfort. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're going to weep and lament, but the world is going to rejoice. You are going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Like when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. Now, you can respectfully disagree with Jesus' women on that one. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's instantaneously forget the anguish, but just go with Jesus on this one, all right? They forget the anguish because there's so much joy that a human being has been brought into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I'm going to see you again. And on that day, your hearts are going to rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. See, in John 16, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and in Romans 8, the suffering we experience in this life is, is, is connected with, or, or, or say is likened to, the labor pains of a woman giving birth. I remember teaching on this one time and a woman came up to me afterwards and kind of in a playful like this, she, she was just like, obviously a guy wrote this section, right? But what Jesus is saying, it's not that the anguish is forgotten, it's just that in light of what was gained, the anguish, the suffering, the pain, there's a sense of it's worth it. It was worth it because of this. It's worth it. Did it make the pain any less painful? Did it make the anguish any less deep? No. But what came from it, there was a sense of rejoicing. Jesus says that each and every one of us, when we suffer, it's like the birth pains but it's leading towards something. 
a dear brother uh, here at, at Gloria Day is with Jesus now. And he had a long, long battle with cancer. Long battle. Like 12, 13 years battle. Brutal. When I got here, he was sort of the first warm kind of smile. You know, like he was just like that kind of guy. He was unbelievably generous. Not, not, he was generous with his, his smile. He was generous with his stories. He was generous with his time. But he was generous uh, with his money. He was just a generous guy. And I remember talking to him one time. And this was, I mean, he, he was well into his battle with cancer. And we were talking and I said, how's it going? He's like, it's okay. And I said, what? And I asked him a question. I said, what do you hear Jesus talking to you about? And he goes, you know, Satan's working real hard to get me to despair. But I refuse to give Satan that much credit. My body does not belong to me, Pastor Ben. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And one day... I'm going to see Jesus face to face and He will heal me of the curse of this disease. But until then, I'm going to praise Him and I'm going to be generous because that's all I can do. You want to put a pastor in a puddle? I just like, that's it. How do you rejoice always? That's it. See, he knew his battle was not against cancer. His battle was against hopelessness and despair. See, that's what the evil wants to do. Satan knows he can't steal your faith. But if he can get you to not focus on the truth, then he can wind us up into all these different things. And then all of a sudden we feel hopeless. We feel despair. We feel like, what's the point? We start feeling anxious and depressed and fearful and it's just crush, crush, crush. And then at a certain point, man, we need to have an empty tomb moment. We go, that's not my God. And I'm not going to give it that much credit. It wants to look big. It wants to look powerful. It wants to look like it's got all the control. And then Jesus comes along. He shows you the holes in his hands. He goes, I got it. I got it. I win. I win. The final chapter of your life is you're with me. I win. No matter what happens in this life, I win. I rose from the dead. You belong to me. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4 to 7, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, meaning much rejoicing, let your requests be known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will be guarding your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. You see what Scripture's doing? Do you see the effect it has on us? The goal of Scripture is to empower you with a kingdom mindset that is able to see yourself, able to see other people, and able to see the circumstances of your life through the lens 
of a victorious Jesus Christ that you belong to. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying you're always going to be happy. Life as a Christian is not kumbaya. You're going to go through some really hard times. We're all going to have the labor pains. And it's going to be tough. But what Paul is saying is, you do have the power to rejoice in the midst of your suffering. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your heartbreak and heartache. You have the Holy Spirit empowered joy because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I remember my, my first year at seminary, which is pastor school. It was my first year, first time I really lived far away from my parents. And I remember I got a job and I was working on the grounds crew. And I had the morning shift. So I'd get up early, go out, and I had the rounds to do. And I got to drive around this gator, this convertible gator, and, uh, which is like a glorified golf cart. It was awesome. And I'd drive around. I got to meet a lot of people, do some work. But there's one gentleman in particular, his name's Professor Gibbs. That's what we called him, Professor Gibbs. He's a New Testament scholar. And every morning, he'd be walking into his office. And, and it just so happened we'd always connect. So I'd be outside, he'd be walking, he had this unusually large mug. And he'd be walking in with his briefcase mug. And I'd see him, I'd say, good morning, Professor Gibbs. And he would go, it is a good morning. Still caught up in it. And walk off. I was like, what? It was weird. I'm like, is this what seminary is like? I thought it was going to be weird, but this is weird, you know? I was like, all right. So he walked off. I'm like, all right. Have a, all right. Next day, Professor Gibbs, mug, briefcase. Good morning, Professor Gibbs. Right? It's a good day. It is a good day. Still caught up in it. Off he went. This happened for like a week. Finally, I'd had enough. Now, listen, I'm a scared little first-year person. This is Professor Gibbs. This guy's like written commentaries. I mean, this is a big, big deal at the seminary. I'm like, ah, oh, geez, I'm going to look dumb, but I had to know. So I'm like, if he says that to me one more time, I'm going to stop. I'm going to be like, what are you talking about? So I, had, I mustered up all my courage. Whew, this is happening. I knew it. It was a Friday. I'm like, I need it. I need it. He's, here he comes walking in. Good morning, Professor Gibbs. And he, and he looks at me and he says, It is a good morning. Still caught up in it. And, I, and then he turns to walk away. I go, Hold on, hold on, hold on. He turns to me. I go, I have a question for you. He goes, Sure. And I said, What are you talking about? And then he looked at me like I was weird, you know? Like, and he goes, what do you mean? And I said, every morning. You're like, it is a good morning. I'm still caught up in it. Like, what are you talking about? And he looked at me, got compassion in his eyes, and he said, son, Jesus has caught me up in his grace. I'm caught up in the kingdom of God. No matter what's going on in my life, it is a good day. I'm still caught up in it. Have a good day. And walked off. 
I will never forget that interaction. That's a kingdom mind. That's rejoice always. That no matter what's going on in in the world or in your life or in your family or with your kids, it doesn't mean you have to be okay with it. But it also doesn't mean we're never hopeless. We're never in despair. That it is a good day. Why? Because we're still caught up in it. We're still caught up in this in this big story of God's love for every single human being that pushed him to even sacrifice himself on a cross, that we're caught up in it. And that when Jesus right now looks on your life, don't think for one second he doesn't have complete power and authority. And that he loves you. You matter. And he's working something out in this world and in our lives. And he promised a day will come when you will see Jesus face to face. And in that moment, I guarantee it in that moment, like holding your newborn, you're going to look back and it was worth it. Whatever it is you've been through was worth it. And when you see Jesus, know that that joy will be yours for all eternity. No one will steal it. So until that day, be patient. Have hope. Have faith. And rejoice always. We're all still caught up in it. Amen? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you're about to hear a great song written by a songwriting mentor of mine, Stephen Duncan, and a few other great songwriters, including Daniel Hartsom from Montana that I've also written with. So be sure to check out the show notes for more details and links about this song. And before we get to the song, though, I've asked Stephen to say a few words. So Stephen, uh, could you say a few things about this song? Kevin, I'd love to, and thank you so much for having me. Oh My Perfect Love was written out of a three-day songwriting intensive in Bozeman, Montana with a group of worshipers called 406 United and a group called the Worship Coalition. That day, our writing group decided to stand and face fear once and for all. In scripture, it says that perfect love casts out all fear. So we knew we needed to write about perfect love. So we then turned to 1 Corinthians 13 and did a deep study on what perfect love really looks like. It's patient, it's kind, and it goes on and on. What we really wanted to capture, though, in this song, Kevin, is that love is something that we don't just give or do. Love is the person of Jesus Christ. Love is the Father. Love is the Holy Spirit. So we wrote this song from the perspective that we are actually talking to and receiving God, perfect love, himself. We wanted to fully experience the God who is perfect love. You can find this song on Spotify and all streaming platforms with artists, 406 United and the Worship Coalition. Chord charts are available at praisecharts.com and the backing tracks can be found at multitracks.com. I hope this song blesses you. You are here waiting. You always do. Kindness, it calls me, beckons and draws me into the room. 
record of wrongs here I'm seen and approved You never blame me Selfless you claim me And love's great pursuit Oh my perfect love Oh my perfect love Oh my perfect love My perfect love is a haven, my resting place, the arms of a father, a refuge, a harbor, trusted and safe, there's nothing that's greater, no sweeter a taste, when I'm fully known, and mercy
Free fear now is run. 